We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm click. Great. Perfect. All right. Uh, we're live here on the Wednesday edition of the RotoWire NFL podcast brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. It's the AFC West edition. We already have Charger news fresh out of the general manager's mouth. I'm excited to talk about, of course, the Super Bowl winners, too. We got the Sean Payton stuff. A lot from this division to unpack, and I'm excited to do it with Jim Coventry. Let's hit the music. Again, welcome to the Wednesday, March 1st edition of the Road Aware NFL podcast brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. I'm Joe Bartle. Alongside me is Jim Coventry. We've been going through the different divisions thus far in the NFL. We called a lot of the Titans moves correctly in our first edition of the show. Happy to pat ourselves on the back once more. We had mentioned John Johnson as a possible cut last week for the Browns. A little bit of the under-the-radar move that I don't think a lot of people were going to report or assume. Did, uh, that did end up occurring as well, too. So I'm, I'm interested. As we get closer to March 15th, when free agency officially starts, Theoretically, most of these moves will have been made, and uh, we will stop being so correct, Jim. We, we can't continue <laughs> to pat ourselves on the back. But until that point, I'm going to keep doing the victory dances because it's, it's been nice yes. to see that we've had uh, the maneuvering of the salary cap thus far. So AFC West edition, this go-around, obviously Chiefs, Chargers, Broncos, Raiders, uh, varying levels of success from Super Bowl winners to number five pick, but not really because it's to the Seahawks as part of that <laughs> Russell Wilson trade. Uh, I'm excited to dive into all this with you, Jim. Yep, it's going to be a great show, and like you said, it's all over the border, so there's a lot to talk about. Some teams have way more uncertainty than others, but I'm excited to dive into that. Yeah, normally I start the show with the team that I find most interesting, um, and in this division, I guess it has to be the Chiefs, right? Uh, and the fact that they just won the Super Bowl. The Mahomes contract is going to be one, and I think we discussed a little bit with Joe Burrow last week, and we'll do so again with Justin Herbert, that defines the era of quarterbacks I, I think for the years to come certainly for this decade or so tons of money but has given the Chiefs plenty of financial stability and ability to maneuver the cap better than I think any other team could have planned back in 2000 or back in 1980 right it's 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 a new wave of upper echelon quarterback play but also contract with that so the Chiefs have right now an estimated amount of two million dollars in cap space not great of course, their first-round pick dead last in the first round because they won the Super Bowl. Their key free agents, Orlando Brown, left tackle the franchise take last year, might do it again this year. We'll discuss that in a bit. Juju Smith-Schuster, of course, Carlos Dunlap, um, a mercenary pass rusher, if you want to call it that. Uh, Derek Ninati, the, the defense tackle. But they also have Kalen Saunders, who is the guy that 
subbed in for Chris Jones at times too. So key pieces along the defensive line. Um, Andrew Wiley, the right tackle who started every game this past year. Jarek McKinnon from Fantasy Lore, of course. Nicole Harbin. And then I also mentioned Tommy Townsend. Not a lot of punter love, but when you have an all-pro punter that's up for uh, an extension, you, you have to at least mention it somewhat. So again, $2 million in cap space. A lot of starters or at least quality pieces that I just listed off there. The moves that I at least identified from a cap perspective – you can pretty easily convert uh, Mahomes' contract to free up $27 million in cap space this year. And then there's Chris Jones, who you could probably restructure to. His cap figure for this season is at $30 million. That's on par with what uh, Spotrack's uh, average value for his position might be. That's a lot, though, for an interior pass rusher, no matter how great Chris Jones is. I would imagine they massage that with an extension somehow. Uh, so those two maneuvers I thought would free up about 40 million in cap space. The first question I'll pose to you, Jim, though, is you have the opportunity for the chiefs to cut Frank Clark and free up $21 million in cap space. Do you make that move knowing how great Frank Clark has been in the postseason? And I think was kind of instrumental in the chiefs once again, winning the super bowl, or at least being competitive throughout the playoffs. I know he only had five sacks in the regular season, but was a very critical part of that pass rush. You know, they drafted George Karloftis last year, mm-hmm. and he was a work in progress, but he developed as the season went on. Not to where they need him to be yet, but I think he's much closer to that next year. I think that was their investment. I don't think Frank Clark has the consistency that they would like out of the position paying that kind of money. I do believe that they can go a much cheaper route. Matter of fact, if they let him go, I don't think they're going to be suitors for Frank Clark at mm. all. There is no consistency to his game. And you can't say, hey, we're going to sign him because he's good in the Super Bowl. Well, not too many teams can count on that, right? <laughs> yeah, so Maybe just the Chiefs. <laughs> yes. So realistically, they could probably get him back on a minimum contract if they really wanted to. Because I seriously, there'd be no suitors for Frank Clark. There'd be no team that's willing to pay him significant money. Because he has not had a good season across the board in almost four years. Yeah, I was going to say, what's the difference between Carlos Dunlap and Frank Clark? Not much. And Carlos Dunlap made $3.5 million this year as opposed to the $21 million cap. I would agree with you, unless they were to once again ask Frank Clark to take a, a pay cut or uh, renegotiate, I would imagine he will not be on the team this year when you're talking about a $21 million in savings. So you have Frank Clark, you have the $27 million likely in Patrick Mahomes. You can do uh, – there's Chris Jones – the Chiefs are going to have money. I mean, that that was part of the reason why they traded away Tyreek Hill last year is that you're going to invest uh, the resources you'd expect in Tyreek Hill to multiple positions. You got Drew Smith-Schuster, you had MVS, who came up clutch uh, in that conference championship game. You drafted Sky Moore in the second round. You, had, you have multiple picks to make do with that one massive uh, transaction in, in regards to trading away Tyreek Hill. Where where do they invest that money in? Is it offensive line? I mean, do they bring back um, Orlando Brown, uh, bring back Andrew Wiley, or do you feel like they go once again to the skill positions? We've seen Patrick Mahomes play on one foot and dominate. We've seen him play with differing receivers on the field, off the field, learning the system. It's all about Patrick Mahomes. I honestly believe they can plug in any group of receivers at this point and get that (laughs) figured out. So yes, keeping him safe is the best course of action. So they are going to continue to keep a line in front of him that keeps him upright. There's no mistake about it. We all understand this quarterbacks run the NFL and it starts with Patrick Mahomes. So that yes, receiver wise, maybe sky Moore develops a bit. 
Maybe they pick another mid-round draft pick, but I don't think they're going to spend big money on any more receivers. Look, when you're letting Tyreek Hill walk the prior year, you're making that statement loud and clear that you can figure it out on the fly at receiver. And they did, right? Uh, I mean, the production, they were still one of the top passing offenses in the league. Um, the rushing attack, not quite so much. Their 20th in rushing yards still scored the most points because Patrick Mahomes and uh, Andy Reid are Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. They can make things work more so than the rest of the NFL over the last couple of years, certainly, too. I, I'm curious at running back here because you have the news that Edward Solaire's fifth-year option was not picked up. Yeah. I would assume uh, no shocker to anybody at all, not given how much he's been poorly played uh, over the last couple of years. Now you have Jarek McKinnon as a free agent too. Pacheco came out of nowhere uh, to be the more dominant runner for that team, but he wasn't the do everything back that we've seen the chiefs in past years have. I know we're, we're dating ourselves with uh, Jamal Charles and such, but they've done that before. And Andy Reid has felt confident using those types of players. I could see with how deep this draft class is, they get another running back who would be the backup, even if he's a higher draft capital, right? We do that thing every year with the, the draft capital and Pacheco's not going to matter. Just like James Robinson didn't matter. Okay. Well, that's not true. Um, I, I'll be curious. Do you think they invest though in a running back? Let's say the three to $5 million type of guy like that. Would that fit what you would believe the chiefs would value uh, this offseason? I think they've learned the hard way. I think they learned by drafting Clyde Edwards, Alaire high. I think they learned by drafting, Isaiah Pacheco in the seventh round, I believe. Jarek mm. McKinnon off the scrap heap. They got better production out of the players they paid very little for. I don't think the necessity is spending on running back. They could get anything off the scrap heap, but I think it's going to start. McKinnon will probably be back. He's going to be in his age 31 season. Again, there will be no market for a 31-year-old running back that is a real specific type of player. And honestly, McKinnon was a product of Patrick Mahomes because he is a real route runner. We have a lot of running backs that can just do dump offs and flares. McKinnon runs routes. And he also has his superpower is that he can mirror Mahomes running at the second level, giving um, his quarterback an available target where he needs, but he has an understanding of that. And that was why they had that big run of clicking together. But Pacheco, look, Pacheco and people will first hear this and be, and know I'm crazy. He's not a, he's not a great running back, but here, here's what it is. He had a 25th percentile broken tackle rate. Why was he successful? Very simple. Andy Reid understood he's a very aggressive downhill runner. Mm-hmm defenses don't have a second level to stop the run because they are committed to stopping the pass of Patrick Mahomes. They see the most light boxes in the league and they have a very good offensive run blocking line, especially the interior. All they need is a running back to hit the hole decisively and hard. Pacheco does that. So the yards are there for the taking. That was all they ever needed And that was the easy solution. So Pacheco, now I would be very concerned about him breaking down. I know he's 216. He comes across as a slight guy to me, and he runs two contact. That may not end up well. So as to your point, Joe, I do think they find somebody on the scrap heap, but it could be somebody just again like that, find a downhill runner. And it could be more of a banger back. But if it's that quality. That's yes. like, that's the first guy that comes to mind for me. A, a player like that. Yes. Yeah. And that's all they need. Just downhill. That's all you have to do with this offense. And that's the solution.
So I always go back to Jamal Williams because I know Jamal Williams this year, you know, uh, close to the league or league lead in rushing touchdowns, but that wasn't Jamal Williams with the Packers. And when he signed with the Lions, it was a two year, $3 million deal uh, to, to be the energy, to change the locker room culture a little bit. There are so many running backs that I think have a lot left in the tank, relatively speaking, who can see the Chiefs, see what they did this past year, see the rushing ability that guys like McKinnon and Pacheco have done and say, oh, yeah, well, I, I'll gladly sign for the veteran minimum or or maybe a little bit higher than that to have that same type of purpose. Um, I, I think there could be a big name who goes for a price tag that you'd be surprised with the relative name. And I don't know who applies. There might be some guys that get cut yet that would fit that mold. But given the Chiefs probably have some availability in cap space uh, and will invest, we think, in an offensive line, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they get a running back of, of that kind of nature. I'm not sure one jumps to my mind, but that's kind of what I was thinking too. The other part, does Juju Smith-Schuster come back? He's one of the top free agent wide receivers of this class. There's Alan Lazard, there's Jacoby Myers, and then there's Smith-Schuster. I don't know if he is a, a slot receiver only. I don't know if that's more valuable in today's day and age in the NFL than it has been in years past, uh, or if it he's a bigger name who's relatively young still, given how many years he's had in the NFL, that it won't matter. And a team that is in need of a veteran receiver who still has a lot left to prove and can do, as we saw throughout the playoffs, um, is he going to command upwards of $14 million, And you think the Chiefs will be happy to pay that? I don't think he's going to get a big contract. If you play with Patrick Mahomes, and I know he missed a couple games, and you don't put up 1,000 yards, that's a pretty big ding on you. If you're supposed to be a good receiver and you can't do that, very problematic. And his yards, look, his yards after the catch were good. He was 86 percentile. So we give him certainly credit for that. And he did play 47% in the slot. So he was a hybrid inside-outside. Now the Chiefs move their receivers around a lot. So they all play significant time mm. in the slot. So he was definitely a hybrid. But there was nothing special about his game in Kansas City. There was nothing he was doing that's like, wow, he's separating better than ever. He still hasn't been anywhere near the player since that 2018 season when Antonio Brown was taking all the coverage and Ben just had him in a lot of one-on-ones and he was able to win it. They were going vertical with him. And obviously this Chiefs defense sees the two high shells regularly because mm -hmm. even though defenses know you're not going to slow Mahomes down much, you still don't want him throwing to 70-yard touchdowns. You want to still make him run the longer drives. So I don't think Smith-Schuster is the fabric of what they want to do. Now, if he's on a cheaper contract, but I don't see a team saying, wow, we saw a game breaker here. I think you know, I think the Christian Kirk last year, Christian Kirk's a far more valuable player on the free agent market than I think Smith-Schuster will be. Because with at least that prior year with Christian Kirk, we saw the beginnings of a player who was ready to break out. He really did show in that last year in Arizona. Again, Smith-Schuster just did not show enough. He had that string of 100-yard games in week six and seven, and I know he had the concussion soon after, mm -hmm. but he didn't even hit 55 yards in his last six games, and he missed that in 12 of 20 games. So I just don't see any reason for teams to prioritize him. He may get some money somewhere more than they offer in Kansas City, but, man, for his career, he, he needs to go back there and hope that another year of chemistry gets him to 1,200 yards, and then maybe he parlays that into another deal. Look, we've been trying to build this show at least uh, throughout the offseason that we are knowledgeable of the cap stuff and, and, and the situations that we're going to be entering come free agency. And you've been backing this up with all the film that you've watched over the year. And I think there's a lot of compartments that make sense uh, 
to what we've been doing over the last three shows. But I thought during this exercise and really preparing for this podcast, it's been eye-opening to me how little cap space there actually is across the NFL, you know, for, yes. for every, all 32 teams. Yes. The bears have uh 90 plus million in cap space. We're going to talk about the Raiders who are third uh, right now and probably could make even more cuts to get even higher. Um, and there's a lot of maneuvering that teams can do. They've kind of followed that uh, saints mode in that regard, where there's a lot that will open up, but it's not that every team has 50 plus million anymore that there aren't the dolphins and uh, the Bears, who've stunk for so long, I know the Bears, again, have a lot, but you, you understand where I'm going with this, that uh, they just have so much free cap space and they have to overpay. There's not a lot of those teams out there anymore. So while it might be uh, a lower wide receiver market and you theoretically want to improve your offense and science and these guys, I agree with you. It's it's not a guarantee that Judas Smith-Schuster is getting 20-plus million a year like Christian Kirk because, A, Smith-Schuster doesn't have the same speed level. And also, I don't know if Smith-Schuster has proven himself to the same extent um, in other offenses in the chiefs. It makes sense. I think uh, a reliable pass catcher who can get open without having to scheme things that much. I, I know they all do um, that, that has comfortable hands that Mahomes trusts. that does have value, but in the $14 million plus range, maybe not. I, I, I completely agree with you in, in that context and going every over every team's salary cap. It's like, I don't know I, who, who's, who is overpaying for Smith Schuster, the bears. No, I, I don't. I don't think so. The, the Raiders already have a slot receiver in Hunter Renfro. So you, you go through the list of teams. It's like I don't. I don't know who all makes sense. The Commanders can only sign so many dumb free agents. And while I think the Commanders are a perfect team to do so, they can only do so much, right? And, and that's where I, I kind of get to. I think this will be a very heavy uh, front seven, both offensively and defensively. Kind of, I guess, offensive line. You understand that uh, kind of a free agency, but you know, it's, that's the fun part about going through this and realizing, oh, there's, there's not a lot, uh, there from the financial perspective. I want to get to the chargers. And again, the news that broke just a bit before the show regarding Keenan Allen. before we do so, let's get a word from our sponsors under ups. Not, yeah. Underdog. The NFL season is over obviously, but the fantasy football season never stops at underdog fantasy. The easiest place to play fantasy football right now. You can draft an underdog's big board tournament with $1 million in total prizes and 200,000 to first place. Think you know which incoming rookies will burst onto the scene in 2023? We actually have some articles up on the site. If you don't, uh, if so, now's your chance to draft them at value. And it, uh, all you have to do is join the big board draft and then draft your fantasy team. That's it. In best balls, there's no waivers, no trades, and you get the best scores in starting lineups each week of the season. Whoever has the highest score at the end of the season wins. It really is pretty much that simple. Just head to underdogfantasy.com, the App Store, or Google Play Store. Sign up with promo code RWNFL. And not only will you get your first deposit doubled up to $100, but you'll also have a, a handy six-month subscription to RotoWare where you can read about those articles that highlight the rookie uh, running backs and receivers you should be drafting. So free six months, you get that uh, deposit doubled up to $100. All good to go in RotoWare. That's the code RWNFL for underdog fantasy. You know, Jim and I are going to be diving into more of those best balls, uh, probably post-free agency, post-draft a little bit as we get that concrete information. But we have, uh, as we always say, we're disciples of Mario Puig and John McKechnie. The Thursday podcast has you covered on all those incoming rookies. The combine is underway. I know that's going to be a, a hot topic for them tomorrow. So uh, I know you, you're doing the choo-choo. I'm excited for that as well, too. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Let's uh let's talk about the Chargers, who right now are uh estimated at 19 million over the cap space. They have the number 21 overall pick in the draft. Having made the playoffs, of course, losing to Jacksonville uh, in that first round. Key free agents, Kyle Van Noy uh, and Azir Adderley, who had actually played pretty well for the past two years, but certainly this past year. DeAndre Carter filled in pretty well when Keenan Allen was injured, also a returner for them too. Drew Tranquil, really interesting case here because that was Kaiser White last year, who I thought would get a bigger deal as a coverage linebacker. Didn't so much, but was, I think, critical for the Eagles. Same type of deal this year. And then Donald Parham, restrictor free agent, I'd imagine he comes back. So, uh, the first thought that I had when I was going over this, $19 million sounds like a lot. But you have Joey Bosa, who you can convert his contract, $16 million, no, $16 million, no problem. Um, there's Michael Davis, too, I guess. I don't know, Jim, where you stand with him, but he's an okay corner, not a great yeah. corner. You cut him, you free him with $7.5 in cap space. And then there's Mike Williams, who you could probably extend. He only signed a three-year deal last year. I think played relatively well to the point where he getting ex- extended a longer deal uh, and spread out that cap hit at $19 million. That gets you higher, of course. Um, you like you'll be able to be in the positive. Not a lot though. So, like, what moves can the Chargers realistically make? This goes back to our conversation from last week with Joe Burrow. I think the Justin Herbert contract extension is going to be a thing that happens and relatively soon. Um, we know there's Jalen Hurts. We know there's Joe Burrow. There's Justin Herbert. The first one is going to be the cheapest one. For a number yep. of years, no matter, I know it's 50 plus million, right? It's, it, and, and Lamar Jackson's in this conversation too. Daniel Jones, there's five quarterbacks that could get paid an extreme amount of money. And it's going to look ridiculous the day they sign it. And then five days later, when the next one does, you're like, oh, actually, that was a deal. Uh, so the Chargers, it would behoove them to extend Justin Herbert as soon as possible, right? 100%. And you hit the whole point. I'm not going to reiterate the whole thing, but it's that yes, you sign him as quickly as possible because you get the savings on that deal. And you try to do what was done with Patrick Mahomes. You try to lock mm-hmm. him up for 10 plus years because it's financial security for the player. You could do guaranteed money as much of it as you want. But the whole point is you lock him now before that number goes way, way up. That is the game you play. And like you said, sign him fast. That's one way to convert some money. And, you know, you talked about the cap earlier in this. 
Teams, we've seen it for decades. Teams are creative. There are always ways to free up money. And if you want to, if anybody out there wants to learn, just look up the Dallas Cowboys or look up the New Orleans Saints. Right. And, and I don't know if the Saints ever paid the piper. And that's the crazy thing. I think it's going to be coming real soon. But it's been like literally close to a decade they've been kicking the can. And so, yeah, guys like so- Teron Armstead, you know, leaving that, that is the, the one example or, um, shoot, uh, Trey Hendrickson as well, too, where he's looked really good at the Bengals. You would have liked to have that money, but the, the Saints have always been able to still get guys. Tyron Matthew, big free agent signing when you're like, how, how is this even possible? Uh, I, the teams are able to find money, but you're only really able to make one move when you're in that scenario, like one positive move. Or if you're the Packers, it's just all negative moves uh, that you choose to do when you're in bad cap space. I say that as a Packer fan, uh, and I'm not sad at all whatsoever. So the the back to the Chargers, ten and seven. They went all in last offseason. I think that I think that's absolutely a fair statement. The Khalil Mack trade was big. They made a number of different free agent signings. Austin Johnson uh, to help out the run. Sebastian J- uh, Joseph Day as well too. Yeah, Van Noy kind of signed on at the end. J.C. Jackson surprise massive signing. Well, he got hurt, didn't get to play a whole lot for the Chargers this past year, and yet the defense still wasn't that good. Now Joey Bosa being out for most of the season, certainly impacted things. You'd imagined when they were both healthy, that was going to be a dynamic pass rush. That was one of the best in the league. You didn't really see that occur. Of course, Joey Bosa also had that uh, mind-numbing penalty in that playoff game against the Jaguars. That kind of has been his thing uh, over the course of the career. I I do the the beat writer stuff for the Chargers, so I'm, I'm more mindful of those penalties than a lot of other people. I have to imagine uh, if there was a stat for stupid 15-yard penalties, Joey Bosa would lead the league or be near it since his time um, in the NFL. I'm shocked that it continues to happen uh, when we're at year six, seven, whatever it is in his career. But uh, the the, the defense didn't look good due to injuries. Derwin James missed time as well, too. I guess my thought or my question, Jim, is, is the Chargers defense legit when they're healthy? And I know we can only say this knowing the Chargers' history over the past 10 years. They never get healthy, so it's a hard answer. I, is, is there moves that they should be making that they haven't, or is it just bad luck like it's been for the past decade or so for the Chargers? You know, they're going with an organizational philosophy that many teams have to some degree, but they're about – the pay, playing the pass. They're not about stopping the run. They did bring in Austin Johnson and Sebastian Joseph Day last year. It really didn't work out. They were just hemorrhaging rushing yards. And when you are so bad against the run, mm-hmm. that's the problem you run. That team will say, okay, I could take these six yards a crack because it's big gaps to run through. Uh, why they're, do I need to pass? Why do yes. I ever need to pass when I can run for six plus yards, right? Yes, and the pass defense is excellent because of Brandon Staley. Well, they brought in J.C. Jackson, and what we learned very quickly, he's a very good man corner, but they were playing a lot of zone, and he was losing his responsibilities, not passing players off, not going to the vacant area where he was supposed to be. He had a very poor grasp. Now, if he comes back from this injury, I don't know if it's a learning curve it's very possible he is just a man corner. And if he is, that was a terrible allocation of resources. Michael Davis came in after what was a disappointing career. He functioned exceedingly well in that zone. So he brought a lot of value. And Brandon Staley talked him up a lot this season, rightfully so, because he was always in the right spot. And when you're playing that zone, it does mask certain deficiencies you have, you know, in terms of traits. So Mm -hmm. I I do think you can replace him, but I do think the way he played last year, I think you're going to want to pay him because – 
they they need that and they need the pass rush. But but here's the whole thing: at some capacity, they have to do something to the run defense. Whether it's spending a third, fourth, fifth round pick on potential run stoppers, spending more picks than usual. I don't think that's in the the free agency. I don't think they have the money for that. But I think maybe some veteran retreads at the end. Like last year, we saw Indomitian Sue and Linval Joseph, you know, sign up with the Eagles. These are the types of players, if you get enough of them and they're cheap, you play them rotationally, you limit their snaps. So these players that you think are long in the tooth, they're maybe not as much if you're only playing 25 snaps a game. And so I think that they're going to have to address the the run defense because everything else is just fine. Ironically, they had Linville Joseph. That was one of their guys yes. a couple of years ago. That was the nose tackle that was taking things up. The uh, Kyle Van Noy ended up being one of the more valuable free agent signings they had. Uh, and that was at the end of, of the free agency period too. And only was a really cheap deal. I think they can find that. I mean, it's easy to sell Los Angeles, at least from the weather perspective, as we've seen with the Rams getting free agents. And and you can get those veterans that come there and you're trying to change things. And, oh, Justin Herbert, young quarterback, looking on the upswing type of deal. I think it's definitely possible. I also believe they'll probably invest in the trenches. I mean, last year we had uh, Zaire Johnson as their uh, draft pick guard. Ended up being really good. I mean, Rashawn Slater, who they drafted earlier the year before, of course, had that uh, nasty injury. Didn't play for much of the regular season. Disappointing because he was pretty much a cornerstone cornerstone Mm -hmm. tackle. Everyone talks about Tristan Wirfs. Rashawn Slater was essentially that same thing for the Chargers and completely fixed that position overnight. I think um, Johnson's going to be a guy that they're very happy with when they are talking about a middle first round pick at a guard. I mean, that's that's kind of a premium spot to be taking a guard, but he's played out really well for them and addressing a need that they've had along the offensive line. The other part was if you're trying to save cap, do you cut Keenan Allen? And that had been rumored pretty much directly after the Chargers lost that maybe Keenan Allen, who's got a cap hit north of 20 million this year, was going to be a cap casualty as the Chargers are trying to save money. Uh, it was it was at least said for Tom Falasco today that emphatically they do not plan on uh, cutting Keenan Allen and that he's going to remain uh, on the Chargers this year. So I guess that would mean an extension. Again, it, he's been injury prone a little bit, of course, now over 30 years old, which seems to be kind of a fall off mark and has had a lot of those tough in the middle catches. I mean, there's just more that is added on to Keenan Allen's body, the way he plays, but when he's healthy, He's one of the best route runners and guys that are able to get open in the entire league. You know, he'll be age 31 for this season, and we're very concerned about that. The hamstring injury, he played 44 snaps through week 10. But when he came back, and now before I finish his thought, there were people saying they didn't think his hamstring was healthy the whole year, but he right. tore it up down the stretch. His 8.4 yards per target was at least 1.2 higher than either of his prior two seasons. And this is a team that dinks and dunks. They, they don't let Herbert throw the ball downfield, and yet they boosted up Keenan Allen's yards per target. Now, when he was doing this, he was incredible. He had at least 86 yards in six of his last nine games, including the playoffs. In the games he missed, a 49, a 60, and a 61. That is some major production. And so, no, they cannot let him go because they have him and Mike Williams. That's it. Gerald Everett was on and off. Okay, mm-hmm. fine. Not a cornerstone you're building around. He's in, he's getting into that point of his career, too. You don't know quite what you're getting. He's improved a little bit yardage-wise every year of his career, but I just don't think he's the guy you want to lean your offense on. There's a lot of inconsistency in Everett's game. So I do think they need to bring back Keenan Allen. And 
in terms of money, that's going to be a tough sell, but they have to make that work. Now, the biggest deal, and you're probably going to get here anyway, but getting rid of Joe Lombardi, the offensive coordinator. Yeah, that's literally where we go next. <laughs> the ridiculous yards per target. You have one of the strongest armed quarterbacks in the entire NFL, and he was like down near number 30 in average depth of pass. That was just a coach who said, I have a system. I am fitting you in my mm-hmm. system, and that was completely wrong. Now, it can be argued, who could he throw to? Mike Williams missed some time. I get that. He is our downfield type guy. Not that he's fast, but he can win with his size downfield. They lost Jalen Guyton after a couple of games. He was a speedier guy, and they'll have to figure out a deep threat. But you could get deep threats. You can find them cheap usually. And so they do need to add an element of speed into their offense. But I am very – interested to see at least we can bank on the fact Herbert won't be at the very bottom of the league in throwing short passes. Yeah. I was going to talk about what you thought the uh, change to Kellen Moore. Now the offensive coordinator for the chargers was going to mean for that offense. My first thought was, well, Austin Eckler is really good, but he's not going to be seeing, you know, upwards of 170 targets again. That's you a functioning offense, no matter how great Herbert was. And I think the offense looked as good as it did, not because of Lombardi, but because of Herbert, despite Lombardi trying to tie both his young quarterbacks' hands behind his back when he's calling offense plays. I think Austin Eckler loses some catches. He could still be an effective runner, but the issue is they haven't really wanted to run the ball. I mean, the short pass was essentially the run in the Joe Lombardi system, which benefits Austin Eckler and his unique skill set. I, I don't think they have, uh, between Larry Roundtree and uh, Joshua Kelly and then uh, the Spiller, Isaiah Spiller, who they drafted this past year in the fourth round. None of those guys really scream the, the Tony Pollard or Ezekiel Elliott. And not that you have to have that in the Kellen Moore system. I, I actually worry, is there a step of decline from a fantasy perspective that we could see Austin Eckler in, uh, in juxtaposition with the rise of uh, Herbert and what he'll be from Keenan Allen, Mike Williams in that fantasy uh, situation? Well, it's a great point. And let's just with, let's just go back to last year. Austin Eckler was begging for help in the backfield to lower mm-hmm. his carry count. And Joshua Kelly was just starting to come on a little bit. And then he had the high ankle sprain and he missed about a month. But he was starting, the, the team was starting to put him in, in a little bit more. And actually, when he came back from that injury, he was handling between seven and 10 carries in five of his last seven games, including that playoff game. And so he had a 61st percentile broken tackle rate. After posting 3.1 and 3.2 yards per carry in his first year, he went to 4.2, limited work, but he was a different back than he was. And I do think the team was getting confident in him, and I do think he will get some early down work. Now, understand this, the run blocking for the Chargers was abysmal. They were not Mm -hmm. creating any space. So Kelly looked really good given that. And I do think Eckler has to be preserved. But like you said, his fantasy value, it has to be in question. Because if you have to assume this, when the interview for Kellen Moore took place, the first question was, what are you going to do with Justin Herbert? That had to be question number one. And it's probably question number two, three, four, five, and six. And (laughs) how he answered that question probably went a long way towards saying we're hiring you. And I I know he wasn't in there saying, man, we got to up those screen passes. That wasn't it. Play action. Yes. You know, downfield passing. Yes. You have this quarterback. And so, yes, naturally you would think Eckler is going to see a downtick. Now remember Eckler's highest targets were when Keenan Allen was out. 
Keenan Allen was working the short area of the field. Well, that's where Austin Eckler, even though in a little different way, it's almost like the tight end and the running back targets are correlated. Well, the way Keenan Allen plays, they're kind of correlated with Eckler as well. And, you know, both in different ways, but still, I think they had to lean on him out of necessity. So I do think his targets go down. Yeah, I kept saying uh, Zaire Johnson, Zion Johnson. Zion, yeah, yeah. The, the the left side of the line, you know, you have Slater when he's healthy, Zion Johnson, Corey Lindsley, I think still a very good staple mm-hmm. uh, and center in the league. That would help the running game too. Like if, if you are comfortable using those guys and uh, whether it be Kelly or Austin Eckler, I think there's opportunities. Not that there will be an Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard deal. Again, there's no one-to-one comparison Cowboys to uh, Chargers. This is what Kellen Moore is going to do. But you are absolutely right. The answer is what can you do to make Justin Herbert, our franchise icon, already a national media star? What can you do to make him even better in there? And how will that help our team be more competitive? It wasn't, oh, yeah, uh, the an- I, well, I don't think. The answer is, man, we got to keep running those screen passes, the uh, three-yard flared off Snackler on third and nine staple of my playbook i gotta keep having that that was the jill lombardi way uh i i'll be very curious to see how this Kellmore offense looks but i would assume um it, it will not be a scenario where you're getting a lot of austin Eckler work all right uh before we get to that jim i, I want to let you have the floor for rotowire here real quick yes yeah, so look i know we're talking football here but man mm-hmm. it's baseball season and a lot yes. of you love baseball i i'm saying this not because i work, work for rotowire okay rotowire has the best baseball minds in the business and i'm not going to name names because i'm going to miss one or two we have a packed baseball lineup so if you are playing fantasy baseball you when this show is over you need to go to rotowire.com slash pod joe and i'll set you up with some free access you don't even need a credit card no gimmicks just an email address and you can see what this great baseball stuff and our football stuff I'm doing an article every week. Mario Puig is mm-hmm. um, other people may, I'm, you know, I don't know Joe's got going on, but that said, give it a try. You will not be disappointed. If nothing else, college basketball too. I mean, we have you set four year tournaments when it comes to March madness. I mean, that's a huge part. Uh, we get a lot of our subscriptions right around that time period too. Literally just for who's going to win the three versus 14 seed. I think we predicted that uh, we have like a 70% hit rate. I mean, it's, it's like, it's, it's insane uh, when it comes to those matchups. So yeah. Rotowire.com slash pod. Again, gets that free trial for all that site coverage. I want to talk about the Raiders now for a second. Uh, sitting at 6 and 11, they do have their first round pick. And again, that foreshadow for the Broncos at uh, number seven overall. The Raiders currently have the third most in cap space. Uh, you have Josh Jacobs, you have Denzel Perryman, Jerry Tillery, Mac Jones, uh, Mac Jones, Mac Hollins, Rocky Sin, who they traded for Yannick Ngakwe with that Colts trade uh, earlier last offseason, and then Foster Moreau, uh, who's an unrestricted free agent. I would imagine you could get him back relatively cheap. Of those names, it's Josh Jacobs. The only issue is the Raiders didn't want to bring back Josh Jacobs anyway. Before this year, they decided to decline his fifth-year option. And I, I very rarely get um, – I don't want to say negative. I very rarely get like um, argumentative responses on, on tweets that I post out probably because I'm boring, which is fine. Uh, and I actually appreciate that. But when I had talked about how Josh Jacobs is actually not that good, uh, there was a number of people like, no, 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 this is a cost saving measure for the Raiders. And it's a really smart choice by them to decline the option on Josh Jacobs. And I'm like, no, it's not because literally this scenario, literally what happened if Josh Jacobs goes off, not that we've ever thought he'd go for 1,600 yards and lead the NFL in rushing yards. Uh, but if Josh Jacobs were to emerge as this type of running back, you would have him on a cheaper deal and would be able to have some financial stability to maneuver an extension. 
you have you cut Derek Carr, great. You have this massive hole quarterback, which we'll get to in a little bit. But now you're going to have to decide, do you want to have some of this cap savings invested in a position that historically over the past 10 or 15 years has not appreciated well. And for a guy that has done this that well, like, like that well last season, once in his career, I don't, I don't know what you do if you're the Raiders. Do, do you bring back Josh Jacobs? Their hand has been forced for sure, but I don't argue with them not having done that fifth year option. He had 3.9 and 4.0 mm-hmm. yards per carry in the two prior years. That is not cutting. That's replacement level in the NFL. And the fifth year would have cost. That would have cost. And so I'm sure that they drafted Samir White with the expectation probably will bring in another back, another power back. He could get 3.9 or 4.0 yards per carry. Why not? Well, all of a sudden, and we hear this time and again, I don't know what it was. Did the light go on? Did he realize Josh Jacobs that, oh, I have a chance to cash in here. I don't know what it was. But he went 98th percentile broken tackle rate. Mm-hmm. He went to 4.9 yards per carry, almost a full yard higher than what he had. They rode him hard, 340 carries, which was 98 more than his career high. Also, 64 targets, a total of 393 touches. Even his yards per reception went up by over one. So what do you do? You could not have seen that coming because I really – I. Look, I can't tell you this because I'm not in his training room, but he had to have a different mindset than he's had the rest of his career because he was not the same player. And if that's what it took to get him to be that player, then maybe the Raiders can use something in the contract to motivate him to continue that. He seems like he he has a good head on his shoulders. That's that's the positive part where I always go back against the Packers fan uh, many years ago. The debate was, do you re-sign Micah Hyde or do you re-sign Nick Perry? Now, Micah Hyde was a, like a mid-tier draft pick at the time, was a good, capable safety, not the Bills uh, starter and leader that he was. That he's, I'm sorry that he's now. I know he missed this past year, but you understand. Micah Hyde was really good, uh, but not this good. And then there's Nick Perry, who had double-digit sacks for the first time uh, after his being drafted in the first round. And they're like, oh, got to get the sacks, got to get the sacks. And, of course, Nick Perry didn't do anything. was cut two years later. Now, Micah Hyde continues to be a really critical part of the spot that the Packers could have used him for a long time. I, I do get concerned. I don't think Josh Jacobs is a guy that performed well just because it was his contract year. That doesn't sound like the type of person he is. You hear about the interviews. Um, but I don't know if the NFL players – truly reveal that to us like i don't know how much you and i sitting here can know if that's a motivation and 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 how much is the scheme helping things too i mean are we sure josh mcdaniels is going to be around for all that much longer i mean we had reports earlier this season that they would have been happy to fire him if they wouldn't be literally eating money to do so because they signed him to a bad contract for coaches and also the raiders don't have a lot of money to work with period i mean that's that has to factor in on this equation too uh, when you're talking about a running back who is going to command multiple years of guaranteed money and also will be in the double digits when you could have avoided that by not having the or by not declining the fifth year option. I just uh, it, it's it's an uncomfortable spot. I had forgot about Zamir White. I don't know. I don't think Zamir White's all that good, but yes, he could have done more or less what Josh Jacobs had been doing yes. in the years past. So to turn it around now with what Jacobs has been, um, he's a critical part of the offense and the Raiders' offense overall pretty good. Twelfth in points scored. 11th total in passing yard, despite how many people want to knock Derek Carr. It's 17th in rushing yards. Even with Josh Jacobs doing what he did, they had like literally no production elsewhere from that point. The core offensive guys, Hunter Renfro, Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, 
I think are pieces. Renfro didn't play for much of the season, so it's, it's kind of hard to tell what the Raiders have as their number two receiver. And same goes for Darren Waller, who had the weird contract stuff, but then got injured and maybe was actually contract stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, like he, he looks like he's still an offensive piece for the Raiders. It's the quarterback that they're going to have to solve. And frankly, Jim, I don't know which direction they want to go at. Number seven, it's very possible that the three guys, Will Levis, uh, uh, Bryce Young, and um, C.J. Stroud could be gone. You might have to reach on Anthony Richardson, or depending on how Richardson does over the next three days, he might be gone before number seven, too. I mean, like, (laughs) there's going to be some decisions that they have to make, and I don't know if a veteran quarterback solves it, especially if you didn't think Derek Carr solved that issue either. I mean, personally – they can draft one, but they need a veteran for this season. Darren Waller is playing his age 31 season. Devontae Adams is playing his age 30 season. This is a team with a very limited window with these elite weapons. Hunter Renfro is at his age 27, and I don't see him as a player that's going to age extremely well. I, I don't, I'd be stunned if he made it much past 30 in a high-end capacity. And he may still have just had a career year a couple of years ago and may just be a good, not great player. Because remember, it was extreme volume because there was nobody else in 2021. So he was getting the ball and – you know, he and Waller, but he was like the only receiver that year. So anyway, mm-hmm. that all said, this team is offensively built to compete now. And if that means UG, somebody like Andy Dalton comes in, but <laughs> they need a veteran because that they a rookie is not likely going to be ready to work with that group. And the whole key is if Waller stays healthy, having Waller mm. and Adams on the field. That is a devastating one-two duo. Waller still has it when he's on the field. Age 31, it might be a trend because he did miss eight games last year and six in 2021. He had played every game in 2019 and 2020. So is it age or bad luck? But when we get to that 30 age and we see injuries, we do look at them a little differently. So he's much closer to the end than he is the beginning. But I do believe, like you said, it may be fine to draft a quarterback, but they have to have someone under center. And that could be Jimmy Garoppolo. I, that's I mean, that's who I was going to ask. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, there's a lot of veteran quarterbacks that are, are possibly available. We talked about Ryan Tannehill, a couple of podcasts as well, too, maybe would fit that to some extent too, but Garoppolo and his familiarity um, with, with the McDaniel system, you think would be a little bit enticing. And and we haven't heard a lot about where Garoppolo is going to go. And I almost feel like that's, that's what they're waiting for. There was a report from the Raiders general manager yesterday, I believe talking with people at the combine saying we want to have um, some depth and, uh, lasting c- comfort at at the quarterback position. Like we, we want to have a person for multiple years. And the assumption was it's going to be a rookie, right? Like you, you have the number seven overall pick, you're going to draft a young guy that will do it. But I, I agree exactly with what you're saying that, that they might want a veteran and Garoppolo could do that. I know he's had, he's had some tough injuries the past two years, but he's not that long in the tooth for at least quarterbacks. He, he could present that same kind of uh, situation and stabilize an offense that quite frankly, I think they want to have them. That's they've invested so many resources at the position, whether it be at receiver, probably with Josh Jacobs now here too, that you want to have a quarterback that can stabilize it. There was though the betting favorite at quarterback for the Raiders next season at minus 300 odds as of of last week when he was still somewhere very dark. uh, And I don't know, possibly enjoying (laughs) his time, Aaron Rodgers, uh, And of course, joining his former Packers teammate with Devontae Adams going to Las Vegas. 
I it, it it really feels like it's between the Raiders or the Jets. And if yes. the Raiders are saying, no, no, we don't want a quarterback that might only play for a year, then it might only be for the Jets. As a fan of the Packers, that stinks. I'm asking <laughs> you, though, as an expert of the NFL, Jim, do you feel like the, the Raiders should seriously consider having Aaron Rodgers as a quarterback for a year or two or whatever it ends up being? Or is it not worth dealing with? Are they not an Aaron Rodgers away from really getting to where they want to go? You know, again, as I said earlier, if they're taking a critical look at their pieces, Adams and Waller are aging. So adding an aging quarterback to give them that one or two last shots at doing something big, because you look with those weapons, you could piece together a pretty, pretty epic offense. Mm -hmm. And if they do that, they can compete. I mean, nobody on paper is going to match the Chiefs, but look, you got to go out and do what you can. And so I do think bringing in high profile quarterback like Rodgers, that would work because Rodgers is not going to have any issue with weapons and he's going to have a running game. So he'll be protected. So the play action game could be insane. And Josh McDaniels has no issue with that. So I do think that would be their best course of action if they can make that happen. Now, this is more funny than not a typical guy that would fit the Raiders of decades, decades and decades, Jameis Winston coming in. That would be a Raider <laughs> signing. That would be too. That's like I said, there's a lot of veteran names and ones you wouldn't even think of. Winston doesn't get talked about in this QB carousel, but he will for sure be on a team that he could possibly start for. I don't, I don't know what team it is, but that, that, that fits the bill um, with the Raiders. And maybe you say, Oh, well, he, he got a little bit of that Sean Payton in him. Like he knows what he's doing now. He fixed his eyes. Evidently uh, he's, he's good to go now. It's, he's, he's definitely number one overall pick Jameis Winston. I, uh, I, I don't know if I believe that, but no. it might be a cheaper alternative than, than rolling with Mr. Darkness himself. Aaron Rodgers. Um, and real quick, the defense, specifically the pass defense for the Raiders was not good. Obviously, the, the, the signing for Chandler Jones was meant to help things, and he did as much as he could, but there was not enough from a pass rush perspective. I put in our notes, and I really strongly believe this, either Jamal Dean or Sean Murphy Bunting is going to be a Raider as of March uh, 15th at 12.01 a.m. in the morning. Like that, that They are going to sign one of those two Buccaneers corners or, or you know safety, whatever it is, uh, to a pretty substantial deal. When you have this level of cap savings and you are in a position in a market that, again, we talked about earlier, there's not a lot of other major money deals out there. I think the Raiders could be really aggressive to improve that secondary, not in the way that the Chargers did with J.C. Jackson last year, but I think you can get two or three capable uh, 10 to 13 plus million dollar starters and say this is now completely reconfigured along with the pass rush that we were trying to build last year. Yeah, it all is dependent. These elite cornerbacks – if an elite team is seeking them out and is willing to pay them, mm -hmm. they may, I mean, you never know, may take a slight bit less to play with a chance to win a Super Bowl, especially for a player like Dean that has had the taste of what that's like. Now that's hard to say, but you're right. In terms of sheer money, yes, the Raiders, as you indicate, they are an odds-on favorite to land it. And, you know, it's funny, last year you mentioned that they brought in Chandler Jones they signed it was too late he was he's already crossed he's not the same player anymore he lost a lot so they just signed him at the wrong that's a typical raider signing it Again, was. the last 30 years they signed this guy and like the you know the washington they used to call him at the time the redskins they called yep. him and those are these assigned these guys Dion at the end of his career you know and, and it was just like ugly and and that's what they got out of chandler jones max crosby still bringing it he is bringing it very well. But, yeah, unfortunately, Chandler Jones, um, yeah, he looked like a player whose best days have been behind him. It, it really was a Raiders move because Yannick Ngakwe, and we talked about it in the first podcast with the Colts,
Colts, one of the lone bright spots from a pass rushing perspective, literally was on their roster for next to nothing and then chose to move him uh, for Rocky Sin, who I don't I don't even know if they choose to bring back this year. Again, we'll certainly be competing for a spot. He won't be starting for them. It's uh, it's a Raiders thing. The only team more depressing than the Raiders is probably the Broncos, who happen to be in the AFC West division as well, too. Of course, they're without their first round pick because of that Russell Wilson deal from last year. Uh, it's incredible to see both the Lions and Seahawks, given the success they had, have picks within the top five, top ten overall. Uh, I don't I don't know if the first round pick makes the Broncos offseason any like happier or like, you know, like you're more jovial about it. The Sean Payton signing felt like a desperate move that the Raiders yep. would make. And, and I know about signing, right? They, they traded away from the Saints. I, I think, I really believe that the Chargers had said, you know what, we're going to move on from Brandon Staley. That's what Sean Payton was waiting for. And he never got that and was like, well, I guess I'll go in. I, I have a veteran quarterback. I know he could be pretty good. I literally can't be worse than Nathaniel Hackett. Like I, I will, I could just eat Cheetos all day, have the, the, the orange crumb dust on my play call sheet, and I'll still be better than what Nathaniel Hackett did. Uh, for most of the season, so people still love me, but it's not a great it's not a great scenario. The, the Broncos are only twelve million over in cap space. They have a lot of moves that they could make that I think put them more in that range of forty to fifty million. But when you're talking about an aging quarterback who looked awful, has a massive deal and also a massive office on the second level, which seems to be an issue for a lot of people as well. Too. There's there's like major locker room issues that Sean Payton has to solve, and if Sean Payton doesn't solve them. He doesn't look like Sean Payton anymore. I was surprised, to be honest, that, that he ended up taking this deal. Yeah, it's. It, I agree. I believe it was desperation because they are so locked in on that Wilson contract. They're paying so much money for years. They can't get rid of him. And I don't think you can put him on a clipboard on the sideline. I don't think that's even an option because the discord that'll cause. So what do you do? Y- you hope that you bring in a genius coach that could do something. And I just hope, look, Sean Payton, it's not like he ran like five different offenses and he was like Pat Riley was back in the day, Showtime Lakers, and then the <laughs> grind it down Knicks where he could just change the flow. I don't know. I have no idea what Sean Payton is capable of doing. I saw him run a great offense with Drew Brees for a long time, one of the best screen games we've seen and one of the best screen game quarterbacks. I don't have no idea if that was just Peyton playing to his players or if that was a staple of his game. If that was a staple of his game, Russell Wilson is not the guy you want to see. He's <laughs> not a good screen game quarterback. But, you know, we give Peyton the benefit of the doubt. You know, if he's a genius offensive mind, then we have to hope that he has many different ideas. He isn't going to be married to a particular scheme. Hopefully that's the case. We know his disciple Joe Lombardi wasn't able to change his system Mm -hmm. despite having Herbert, but they're two different men. So again, benefit of the doubt, but there is talent there. Cortland Sutton, you know, misused a bit, but they couldn't really do anything because Russell couldn't really find the ball downfield. Jerry Judy, played well as the season went on and they get Tim Patrick hopefully back from an early season injury. So there are pieces there. And, but again, I really don't know what Sean Payton is outside of new Orleans. So it's a big unknown, but I'm more concerned with Russell Wilson, the elite, super, super, super hall of fame quarterbacks played there like 38, 40, it seems, but the other ones stayed off more quickly. Wilson's going to be 34 this year. And I thought he was showing signs of decline. Now he got injured that last year in okay. Seattle. I get it. Yeah, or finger. Yeah. Brain finger injury. Yeah. Right. But I but I still felt before then 
once the teams put a too high shell on him, he could no longer just go chuck it downfield, and he had to be more of a quarterback. And I felt he was not nearly the same player when he was forced to matriculate the ball. I don't think he was capable of doing that successfully on a regular basis. So it's a bad situation. So we'll just have to hope and pray that Sean Payton can figure something out. But I am not optimistic. Yeah, again, you talk about the weapons. I actually didn't feel all that great. I, I, I Cortland Sutton's very good. I'm not arguing that. And Jerry Judy, who I would imagine they do extend at some point, uh, either in the next couple of weeks or m- months. I, I, you want young pieces who are good to keep the optimism for your fan base. I, I think Jerry Judy, that fits that criteria. But I don't know what you have Tim with Tim Patrick after the fact, right? After this injury. And KJ Hamler's been banged up so darn often. Um, yeah. the, the rookie tight end that they drafted this year, too, had spurts where he was effective. Uh, Dulcich, people liked him a lot more than I did. And I, I feel like by the end of the year, we're kind of like, eh, okay, he's actually nothing really special. Um, Albert Quegbanum, uh, again, we're, we're disciples of Mario Puig, so We We know who Albert Quegbanum is, but I would totally understand if nobody else did, given how the Broncos have just failed to utilize a very big and fast guy. I, I don't know if there is a whole lot and that there's the report that Javante Williams likely won't be ready for the start of the season. I mean, it's better than what we did with J.K. Dobbins this past year. Where they're like, oh, no, 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 Dobbins will be ready. Just just trust us. And then he wasn't. Um, it sounds like the Broncos are getting ahead of that. But, I mean, that's that's a very critical piece. The Broncos are going to have a, a plethora of cap space. Again, I, I I talk about the moves in our in the in the breakdown, but you can cut Ronald Darby, who was okay but not great, saves $10 million. You cut Chase Edmonds, who was kind of a throw-in on that Bradley Chubb deal, saves $6 million. Uh, Glasgow, their guard hasn't been all that effective. That's another 10 million. Then there's Jake Martin and Mike Purcell, 7.2 million. So just there alone, uh, that's about $32 million along with that 12 million they already had. I think they're going to have to overpay to get any quality guys. And if you are saying, I need a good running back, I mean, that's the philosophy the Broncos have had with Melvin Gordon. Uh, I think Latavius Murray was kind of you know older, but that was the same concept. If you need one of those veteran good players and not a Deonta Foreman to go to the Broncos right now, you're going to have to pay me more money. I I don't, I don't want to be there when all we're talking about is the, the second level desk that Russell Wilson has and how many bathrooms he has in his uh, super mansion with Sierra. Like that, that's not a sell to me as a free agent. uh, No matter how good Sean Payton is, they have a lot to change when it comes to that. And that's what my biggest concern might be. Yeah. I don't, know what they're going to do with the running game because except Javante Williams isn't ready that tells me we may have issues with him being really ready to go at any point as 100 percent. so that's very problematic and they weren't using him well to start he was getting far too little work and it's not like Javante Williams is this little back who we want to limit him he's a 220 pound back at 510 so I get it if you're six foot he's not 510 220 and they were barely giving them 15 carries in games. And so there was a, an issue there. And now, you know, even worse with him being injured. So that said, and there's no real fall back there. Latavius Murray, I'm, you know, they could bring him back for a song, but do you really want that 33 year old back in there? You know, when he had a favorable matchup, it was fine. But, you know, it's funny with Chase Edmonds, they may have to bring him back if Javante Williams isn't ready to go, unless they're going to draft somebody. And they can take, uh, now, they can take a pay cut too. I mean, that, right, he, of course. he can't yes, come back yes. at 6 million. Like, no, that's an easy no, sell. Then. No, yes, exactly. Uh, on a pay cut for sure. And you know, the funny thing with Edmonds, and I won't spend much time on him. I just think he was a poor scheme fit in Miami 
because mm. he was literally always a 4.6 to 5.1 yard per carry guy. He was always a good receiver. The minute he went to Miami, he could not find his way out of the backfield. And then even though he had that high ankle sprain with Denver in his 26 carries, two runs of 20 plus 4.8 yards per carry. Mm -hmm. You know, he was actually catching the ball. So he actually looked like he was in a system that he belonged in, like he was in Arizona. So if they need a stop gap, like you said, a pay cut, yes, but they may be able to see, have seen enough out of him. He was 68th percentile broken tackle rate, despite, you know, his horrible stretch in Miami. So overall, I, I think at age 27, he still can contribute. It's going to be out of desperation because if it weren't for Williams being hurt, no brainer, he's completely gone. But I think they could probably get him back for three million tops, maybe yeah. less. Yeah, so I, I had identified running back, I think O-line specifically. I mean, they have guys like Billy Turner, uh, the the guard as well too. Um well, I talked about Glasgow getting cut, but Brisner, Dalton Brisner, that's what I'm Dalton Brisner, yeah. He's a free agent as well this year. I, I didn't think the Garrett Bowles uh, draft pick was good, much less the extension they gave him. Of course, he missed most of the season, so maybe you ask him to restructure his contract, take a little bit less. I'm not, I'm not positive. He's already older, despite only being in the league for uh, feels like five or six years. The uh, the offensive line probably could have some money invested. My question to you, Jim, was with Ajiro Averro, their defensive coordinator, now the defensive coordinator for the Panthers, will the Broncos' defense – continue to be as good as they were. I mean, that was the only reason they were competitive in any one of these games. And I know towards the end of the season, their stats didn't look good, uh, which I don't blame them at all, given how much adverse they had to go through for three-fourths of the season. But that was a very, very, very good defense that just got burnt out by the end. And I'm, I'm concerned that there's literally no coordinator that can match what uh, Avera was able to do with this team. Now, the good news was they were elite in pass coverage. And Honestly, it doesn't take a whole lot of coaching to keep that rolling. Patrick Sertan is mm -hmm. probably already a top four cornerback, right? And so when you have corners who can cover, and they actually had injuries to their pass rush that really caused them problems. And then Baron Browning slowed down. He had a really great start, and they, he slowed down. But there were components that they could get pass rush going. I know they traded Bradley Chubb away, but I don't think he ever really panned out to what they wanted him to be. So – they were so good on defense. I think even if they took a slight step back, this could still be a really good defense. I always say this. In today's NFL, if you could either cover or rush the passer, you're going to be fine unless you're the Chargers and give them eight yards carry. Just kidding. <laughs> right. Uh, and, which, and this defense wasn't hemorrhaging yards on the ground. So when you're able to cover – it allows so much versatility with the rest of your defense and a coordinator could come in and, and, and you really don't have to call the master stroke. You're able to go in knowing that you could just do so much more with the players that are in front of those cornerbacks. So I think they're going to be just fine defensively because they start with the back end. Yeah. The Broncos have just two day two picks right now no first round no second round you have two third rounders and then four or four through sixth or seventh rounds that's the problem with with the trade with russell wilson and giving up the assets that you did is that you can't really replace your roster with those cheap assets so you're gonna have to sign guys but i go back to what i said i don't want to come there if i'm a free agent for the broncos unless you're paying me a little bit more and there's going to be that premium of what what feels like a toxic culture right now that i don't know how the broncos solve i i, I don't the talent that they have in russell wilson being what i think he still can be should have them higher than where their standing is, but they are very much in the cellar in the AFC West, even, even more so than the Raiders, in my opinion. And it's going to take a lot of maneuvering this offseason. And I think a lot of 
uh, unfounded optimism for Sean Payton to really sell the Broncos being what they could be, uh, what they could be uh, entering last year. I think that's fair to say. So that does it for us on the RotoWire uh, Wednesday edition of the podcast. Of course, again, John McKechnie and Mario Puig will be with you Thursday, keeping you up to date on all the different combine news. We'll probably circle back with some things that we've noted throughout next week as we continue on throughout our divisional coverage. We're getting very close to two divisions a day, uh, Jim. We, we're getting to that point where the math says we need to get to there. Uh, I'm not sure if it's next week or the week after, but we're going to be smashing a few of these ones together. Uh, I actually, you know, we haven't talked about this, but I'll, I'll spoil you, Jim. I think there's some NFC South news that we're going to be getting over the next week or so, which will lead me into that. So whether it be the Buccaneers, Panthers, I was already talking about the, the secondary for the Buccaneers in particular and what that might look like uh, come March 15th. There's a lot of information that I think will be really interesting. So I think NFC South is what we're tackling um, next week. So, again, uh, I've obviously, thanks, Underdog, for sponsoring us. But thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back in next week.